Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 33 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today I'm joined by George Gramma, founder and CEO of Atlas Navi, and we'll be talking about blockchain adoption through mobile apps. So welcome, George. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Thanks. Um, so if we can just start out with your background in life and crypto and how you really got started down this path. Sure. So we, we started off, uh, we're a software development company and um, our main focus for the last 12 years has been transportation apps, transportation mobility, um, especially. So we focused a lot on uh, launching and operating taxi and rideshare apps um, and also delivery apps. And at some point we actually managed to uh, offered this software as a service, as a white label version, to a lot of different companies. So not only did we launch our own apps and operated them, but we started licensing that a few years back. And um, you know, a few, uh, let's say, four years ago, we looked at that space and we said, "Well, what's what's next in transportation? What what can we innovate in?" Um, and we looked at the mobile navigation apps and realized there hasn't really been a lot of innovation over the last say seven to eight years and the current navigation apps don't really make use of all the processing power that's in the smartphones um, right now and all the latest algorithms in computer vision so that's how we we said well we can do something here and we can build an app that's uh, a lot more that gathers a lot more data and can reroute drivers a lot better in our opinion uh, compared to existing navigation apps. So that's kind of how we got to Atlas Navi. Okay. And do you have any experience with crypto or Web3 before this? Yes. We we built our own blockchain, I think, about five years ago in 2017. So we've been in the blockchain space for about five years. Um, at the time, again, we were looking at uh, what can be done and what's next in the transportation space. And we realized autonomous vehicles are coming. And at the time, we thought, you know, five years from 2017, which would be about today, <laughs> that, you know, we would have loads of autonomous vehicles on the streets. Oh, yeah, but for that, sure. <laughs> yeah, didn't really happen. So, uh, but we did end up building a, a blockchain solution. So basically making use of the decentralization that's uh, specific to blockchain to validate access to autonomous vehicles and uh, encrypt the data exchange between one vehicle to another and one vehicle to a smart city. So we built that solution. We invested in two autonomous vehicles. We got to a point where we were testing them and demoing them, but it was way too early. So that's why, you know, two years later, we kind of looked at, okay, can we build something that everyone can have access to? And that was basically um, Atlas Navi. So, um, yeah, about five years now in into blockchain, um, and, you know, hopefully a lot more from now on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what was the kind of motivator behind building your own blockchain as well? I mean, 2017 it seems like ages ago in blockchain. So, you know, it was, um, it was definitely something that um, you didn't have that many options in terms of mm -hmm. blockchains. And sure. the ones that you had at the time weren't very efficient for what we were trying to do. 
Uh, we didn't build it from, from scratch, so we used a, a solution from IBM. It's called Hyperledger, but we built everything on top of that, basically. So the general architecture, we took it from Hyperledger, and then we built on top of that. And it worked really well, to be honest. Um, you know, we, we managed to demo it and have um, you know, a working product, uh, in a sense. But the actual distribution of that product was a problem because you still don't have any autonomous vehicles on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yet, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you can go through, you kind of touched on how uh, the decentralization part of Web3 is, is really what's helpful for this. Can you go into detail on that? Sure. So for us, um, our main focus was around um, decentralization, mainly relating to um, cryptography and access to a certain asset. So validation of access, if you want. Um, and, you know, the, the traditional approach in Web 1 and Web 2 is that you have a central server somewhere, uh, it could be in the cloud, it could be on-premise, that validates who has access to certain accounts, certain operations on, uh, on a software product. Uh, with blockchain, you can kind of, you know, you don't have to have that central database. And that central database and server, they can be hacked. And the big problem that you have with autonomous vehicles is that they're, you know, two-ton vehicles that can go at, you know, 100 miles an hour if they get to be without a driver, so without anyone, you know, pushing the brakes. So if you have, you know, a hacker, let's say, could, could uh, get access to that server, he could theoretically control, if it's a centralized server, he could theoretically control all the cars that are, you know, available and connected to that server. And we thought this was a very big problem. So... In a sense, our main objective was to take away that centralization and make it a decentralized structure. And by doing that, we had every car act as a node for our blockchain. So every car would hold a copy of the ledger that, that sits on the blockchain, and it would validate, you know, access to all the other cars as well. And the database, you know, and it's it's serverless, and the database is actually, you know, decentralized. So. Uh, you know, it would be theoretically impossible to to hack because there's no central uh, server where all the information and access sits. So uh, it was a perfect solution, we thought, for, for something that could be a very big problem in the future. And I'm sure other companies are, are looking at this as well. Definitely. Cool. Very cool. Um, so looking at Atlas Navi, the app specifically, um, I know that you've got a drive to earn function in there. Why was that something you developed and uh, how does that fit in? <laughs> so the, the actual app, it's, it can be used as a standalone navigation app. Um, and we, uh, we use a, a very reliable mapping provider to actually, you know, uh, get all the traffic data and everything we need. We didn't start off from scratch. But the, the drive to earn model kind of came along when we, uh, we were talking to drivers and, you know, just showing them the early version of the product. And we were saying, well, you know, would you use this, this app with the camera on? Because the Atlas Navi relies a lot on the uh, camera on the back of your phone facing the road or a dash cam in, uh, in your windshield. And we process that video feed in real time on the device, on the phone, to analyze it for uh, potholes, accidents, road closures, traffic in each lane, available parking spaces, accidents, police cars, a lot of information that, you know, you could gather by looking at something. Whereas the traditional navigation apps only take your GPS location. And based on that, they can see how fast you're moving and whether you're in traffic or not. With us, it's like having eyes on the road. 
But the problem was that not all the drivers wanted to use, you know, the camera functionality, even though, even though you know, it allows you to record the video, allows you to share it with your friends if you're seeing something interesting or if you see, you know, something funny in traffic, it doesn't matter. But it, that wasn't enough for, you know, most drivers to, to use and turn on their, their camera, which on which we rely quite a lot. So we said if we could convince even, you know, a very small percentage of users to turn on their cameras, we get so much information by analyzing these video feeds. It's a it's hundred times more data per mile than competing navigation apps. We, we realized we have to incentivize them. So we said, if you drive with the camera on, you know, during certain hours, especially during rush hour, um, then that's when we need the most information in the city. We don't care, you know, and we don't really reward anyone driving on the highway at, you know, 100 miles an hour. There's no traffic. There's no, you know, not a lot of incidents. It, that, that, that data is not that valuable. But someone driving in the city you know, if they spot some available parking spaces, that's useful to the all the other drivers. If they spot an accident or a road work or something else, that's useful to all the other drivers, especially at rush hour. So we came up with a drive-to-earn model where we compensate or we sort of reward drivers at certain who drive at certain times, um, uh, especially during uh, during rush hour and in the city, and that's. Usually, you know, the rideshare, the taxi drivers, the delivery uh, drivers, and those are kind of our formal clients. You know, a lot of a lot of apps that we've built in the past were for exactly for these industries. So it was easy to kind of get feedback and and see if they would be willing to do so. And most of them are because they're driving anyway. So our model for drive to earn is not to reward people, you know, so that they can pay off for for the gas. Like the drivers are not going to make a lot of money, huge amounts of money from this, but it's going to be something that can add up. And especially if they give data to uh, to the network and to all the other drivers, relevant data through the camera, we thought that's worth uh, rewarding. On the flip side, we make our revenues from premium features. So the app is free to use, but we make our revenues from premium features in uh, inside the app. So the more valuable data we have, the more likely is that, you know, we find better routes, more drivers are joining Atlas Navi, and we we can, some of them are going to opt in for, for the premium features. And now, you know, our main issue is to balance those things out. How much do you pay in rewards and how much do you actually make in revenues from those premium features? And that's still an open question at the moment. So we'll see. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and I know, so you mentioned before we started recording that you guys just launched your beta. Um, can you maybe share a little bit about that? Sure. So we, we launched the beta version just because um, we started to build a community around our product and everyone was kind of anxious and we made a promise that we we're going to launch in by the end of June. So it was already, we, we were a week late <laughs> and we, we said we got to launch something and, and we did for both iOS and Android. And it, it blew up in, um, I think, 72 hours, we had 18,000 drivers signed up. And then now we're at close to 23 or 24,000 drivers signed up, which is absolutely mind-blowing because we didn't, our community was fairly small. It was under 2,000 people. Um, and, you know, it just went from one person to the next and they started recommending it. You know, we had friends calling us and saying, I got, you know, five people asking me to download this app, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's, it's definitely a good sign. 
Um, and we're right now bombarded with feedback, which is very useful. Um, so we're working on fixing those, but a very, very good sign. And, you know, we're very thankful to our community for, uh, for spreading the word about Atlas Navi, uh, from the get go. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Very cool. Um, so let's kind of move into the more general idea of kind of blockchain and, and web three for all apps. Um, so what other use cases? So the navigation, as you described, it makes complete sense, right? So what other use cases can you see for blockchain within kind of the current mobile app market? I, I think a lot of a lot of applications have focused on the financial uh, use cases. So uh, definitely uh, decentralized finance has been something that a lot of people have built on, but you can go way beyond that. So obviously uh, last year's craze around NFTs and, you know, owning digital assets and having that ownership uh, actually, you know, um, stored in a blockchain um, is a very interesting use case. Um, however, I think a lot of projects have tried to capitalize on that and that alone without an actual utility to, uh, to, to their product. But blockchain in a sense is, is good for, for a couple of things. You know, it's, it's decentralized, it's trustless, and it can confirm ownership over, over certain things such as digital assets or access to certain things. I see a lot of focus in the future uh, to use blockchain for cybersecurity. So um, accessing and, you know, maybe having something like a, a single sign-on uh, plugin that's that's uh, stored on the blockchain and it just uses blockchain to authenticate you in different services. Uh, and then having control over your data, the, the privacy aspects that a lot of you know, regulators are very focused on nowadays. You know, who has access? Are you selling my data? Are you monetizing it somehow that I don't know how? Can I delete my account? Um, all of these can be easily controlled through, through blockchain access. And I think you know, in a sense, we're biased because we have built a product on blockchain that was, that was focused on the cybersecurity industry. But I do see the biggest advantage, and I think most people, um, you know, a, a lot of developers in the future are going to build applications that relate to the, the decentralization of uh, aspect of blockchain for cybersecurity. So you don't, the risk of you getting hacked, you know, is a thousand times lower if you use a blockchain solution for uh, for accessing your database. So um, I think that's the main use case in the future. Obviously, you do have a lot of models nowadays like play to earn, move to earn, or drive to earn for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think some of them are fat, some of them are going to keep going. Um, if, if their economy is sustainable, then that's, that's fine. And they might be, they might become, you know, a, a big successes in the market. But, uh, um, I think a lot of applications will still focus on, on the cybersecurity angle, um, if they want to have real utility. And that's why financial transactions was one of the first, um, use cases for blockchain, right? So, um, just the ability to send money, you know, very cheaply and, across borders with no no real uh, issues or you know you don't have to go to the bank that was that was great but now i think we're moving away from that into products that you know we have everyday use for on our mobile apps that could benefit from blockchain and most most of those implementations i think are going to be related to cybersecurity in my opinion okay 
Do you know of any others that are currently working on it or are in use that are doing it well or maybe not well? Or um, I, I think there's loads of initiatives, and I, um, it's it's quite hard to to give specifics. Like there's so many projects on blockchain. I think there's over twenty thousand different tokens and currency cryptocurrencies right now, and you know there's people building exchanges. There's people you know building all sorts of things. Um, but you, you look at products like OpenSea, for example. They didn't exist, you know, two years ago, um, and they, they blew up with the whole NFT craze. Uh, there's there's so many different projects that are trying to make it in the blockchain space. It really reminds me of uh, you know the, the 2000 uh, era in in the internet, the dot com era, right? With so many people trying to build something that was. Um, Gonna make them rich first of all, and then second of all, you know that would have a, a real utility. But I think, like, similar to that period, a lot of the projects are are not sustainable in the long term, and that was a focus for us. We wanted to build something that had really real utility in the future. You know, it didn't. It wasn't just something where you could uh, uh, pay and you know someone makes money off of that and that's it. So. For us, it was, it was a real focus to, to have a business that will be around, you know, 10 years from now. And there's more and more people building that sort of business, those sorts of businesses. And I think that's kind of pointing towards, you know, more mature ecosystem of blockchain startups. But right now, there's, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of different blockchain products, I think. And... I was looking, and this is a very good example, I think. I was looking at a, a different projects in the past, and one of them was uh, a peer-to-peer insurance. And I think that's really fascinating, the fact that you, you and, the, and the great application of the blockchain technology, the fact that you can have you know, people contributing to an insurance fund, but then that insurance premium is not completely lost at the end of the year, let's say, um, if, if there were no incidents, right? So you can have a pool of people, even if, whether they're friends or just, you know, people that who don't know each other can pool funds together. And if something happens, uh, they can have someone inspect, you know, the damage or whatever happened to your car, to your house, um, and certify that a certain amount has to be paid, but the rest is still left in that pool. So it kind of compared to traditional insurance companies who make a lot of money from the, you know, on unused premiums, if you want to call them that, um, this really has the potential to disrupt that industry. And there's a, at least two or three different projects who are looking at that and are building solutions on the blockchain for that. And I think, I think that's very fascinating and it could, it could disrupt the insurance uh, industry um, depending on how the regulators you know, uh, react to that. So we'll see. Always comes down to that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you guys were building the navigation, you were really focused on kind of utilizing tech that isn't quite yet available to the mass market. Is that kind of where we need to focus or is there uses now? Um, it, it depends, really. I think, um, you know, we as a company had a tendency to always kind of look a little bit too far into the future, and that's kind of been a problem in the past. But um, um, it, it depends how much you want to innovate. If you just want to build a product that's useful right now and for the next two or three years, and you know you can have easier access to uh, consumers uh, or users, you don't have to really change things around. You, you can build a business off of that for sure. 
But if you want to disrupt an industry, if you're seeing you know, a lack of innovation over years and stagnation in terms of uh, you know, new features being added and what the consumers want, um, for us, it was quite obvious once we, once we studied the market and once we looked at the user forms for you know, the existing navigation apps and what they wanted, you know, there's features that they were requesting you know, five years ago and they're still not in there and they, they seemed like natural features that a navigation app should have. And we were like, why, why doesn't that exist? And you know, big companies react slow, small companies and startups can disrupt big industries. So for us, it was worthwhile looking into the future and using technologies that are, you know, barely available today, kind of cutting edge, even in terms of the processing power that the latest smartphones have. But we were like, if we can solve this, you know, we were, we were going to have a business for the next 10 years. And, you know, we, we have a competitive advantage that we're moving fast and we know, uh, we seem to know what the users want. So why not, why not build it? It seemed natural, but you can definitely build a business, you know, uh, by taking existing products and moving them onto the blockchain, if there's a real advantage in using blockchain, you know, speed, less transaction fees, you know, smaller transaction fees, and um, less trust or less, you know, you, you can sign documents if you want on on the blockchain, and that's a, probably a perfectly good business. But if you want to, you know, disrupt the insurance industry, like I was saying earlier, you've got a, quite a bit of innovation, you know, and probably regulate regulatory hurdles to go through before you can launch your product. But once you do, you know, the sky is the limit. So for us, that was kind of the, the vision. We wanted to build something that was out of the ordinary. We didn't want to do it just for, you know, the, the potential uh, financial uh, reward that, you know, building a business comes with. Mm-hmm. Do you see this kind of ecosystem as being nurturing to new projects or do you find that it's something where to make that kind of development like you guys have, it's, it's much easier if you've got that established industry and, uh, uh, yeah. um, no, I think, I think blockchain is still in its infancy. It's, it's mm-hmm. definitely starting to mature for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, a lot of investment funds that are looking at this. There's a lot of big companies that are trying to innovate and they're looking at the potential of it. Um, but I, I think it's a great space for an entrepreneur to enter. I think, you know, it's something where right now you have a lot of developers who are willing to help. Um, you have a lot of open source code that's readily available, a lot of tools that you can kind of learn from and build your own solution. It's much easier now than it was five, seven years ago, definitely. And the, from the funding perspective, you know, the community, the crypto communities are very much involved in a project. So if you want to do a, a token sale and, you know, you want to uh, convince people that, look, I'm, I'm going to build this, I want to do some sort of a token or a crowd sale, you know, would you invest in this? They're a lot more open compared to, uh, you know, traditional VCs. It's a lot easier to raise money. Uh, with blockchain projects, but provided that, you know, you have some sort of a team and an idea of the product, maybe even a prototype, you know, the more, the more you have, the easier it is to, to raise funds. Um, but I think the, the big difference compared to building a traditional, you know, software product is that you have a very much involved community in this. So once you get started and you get, you know, a few, a few members of your community involved in it, they're, they're advocates for you. They're, you know, your ambassadors. They would talk about you. They would, 
uh, you know, they're involved in the project. So not only do you get, you know, uh, so-called investors or people who purchase your token in advance, let's say, but you, you get people who will promote your product for free. So, and someone who's dedicated in, for example, with us, providing us feedback. You know, it's it's very valuable. It's a lot easier. I'll definitely recommend it. The ecosystem is developing constantly. And it's got that, you know, um, appeal to it. It's the new, the new thing, the new technology, the new, and it's getting adoption, obviously. So um, I think it's great building a startup in the blockchain space, absolutely. <laughs> Okay. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So you mentioned community. Do you feel that that community building is just as important with a mobile app as it is with any other Web3 project? I mention that only because, as you said, you did have quite a lot of response already without putting a lot of effort in, I guess, on that yes. aspect. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, I think definitely, and it's it's the building a community is, is incredibly important, especially for a mobile app. I mean, there's you know thousands of mobile apps being released every month on the app stores. It's very difficult to capture the attention of uh, of uh, the users and having them install and keep the app on their phone and actually use it. Right? Um, it might be a little bit easier on the web. Um, so just building a product that's web friendly and accessible from any browser. But with, if you need, you know, if you need to a navigation app, then you have to have it on your phone. So um, I think it depends on the product. Obviously, it's a lot easier. You know, you, you can open any sort of mobile app on the go. Um, the community aspect, I think the communication with the community is completely different than with a traditional startup. So uh, we we're actually comparing this the other day. We were looking at, you know, other navigation apps and they, you know, they would engage with their followers and whatnot. You know, once once a week, maybe once every two weeks. With, with us, it's, it's constant communication. There's constantly people asking, you know, oh, can we can we have this in the app? Can we? Oh, this doesn't work. Can we? When can? When are we going to see the next update? Um, it's it's much more personal in a way and much more direct. And I think the crypto community likes that and wants that. Um, and it's totally different than, you know, posting something on Facebook, like an official corporate announcement and then getting five likes for that, you know. So um, definitely community plays a big, big role. And ultimately, I mean, you're building this product for them, you know, for, for people who want to use this. And if they find it useful and they see that you're communicating with them and you're building a, some sort of trust, um, they will promote it later on. And that's, that's kind of what you want. Um, you, you want them to, you know, to spread it to other to other users and and use it and get honest feedback. If it's if it's not a good product, they'll tell you. They they have no filter, so <laughs> that's also good. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess I guess it is <laughs> <Seriously>. for feedback. <laughs> cool. Um, good. Then I guess kind of I want to switch it to the dark side because before the recording you mentioned the issue of um, quote-unquote Ponzi schemes kind of within Web3. So, um, yeah, can you tell us kind of what that looked like? And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, we, we've seen a lot of projects um, in recent months especially who are, you know, the, the whole play to earn and move to earn um, 
industries, if you want to call them that, they're, they're, a lot of them are, are called Ponzi schemes. And the reason for that is that they're, they're requiring a, um, a purchase on behalf of the user. So the user has to buy something, whether it's an NFT or access to you know, the app or whatever. And then they pay out some rewards um, over a certain period of time based on the actions of those users. And obviously, and th that's the whole business model, right? So people buy, I don't know, shoes and they, uh, virtual shoes, and they go up running and they earn some, some rewards for, for running. And the whole, you know, move to earn um, initiative is, is about making you healthier, supposedly. So, you know, you, you go out, you run and it incentivizes you to run. That's great. Um, but you have to make a purchase in order to earn some rewards. And then sometimes, especially in the beginning with most of these um, uh, projects, the rewards are very high. So you see, you know, people going for a jog for 10 minutes and then, you know, they earn $60. And you're like, how is that possible? Where's that money coming from? And it's usually from new users joining the, you know, the ecosystem, especially in the beginning. But what happens over time is that without other sources of income or without a way to monetize the information that you're getting from those people, you know, in this case running, you don't really have a business model. You're constantly relying on new users joining and paying something for those virtual shoes. And then from those rewards, you take something and you give it to uh, as a reward to someone else, to the previous users. And that's basically the definition of a, of a Ponzi scheme, constantly relying on new users joining and paying a, a fee. Uh, with we, we were very scared of that. So we, our model was... We cannot, we don't want to be labeled as a Ponzi scheme. We don't want to be, you know, relying on that. We want to build a sustainable economy. We had a specialized company doing the whole uh, app economy and they did an audit of our uh, whole economy in the app. How many rewards are we paying out? How much does it cost to, you know, uh, the premium features and all that. But for us, it's completely different because we do actually have other sources of income in terms of the, the app has a utility in and of of itself like mm -hmm. you don't have to pay anything to, to navigate with it mm -hmm. and you know that actually costs us money right when when a free user just uses it and navigates with it but it's fine because some of the data they they give us which is you know aggregated and anonymized you know we can use that for getting more users into the into the application and getting them to um, some of them will pay for premium features at some point. So the, the whole Ponzi scheme element was not really present because we're not asking people to pay anything for us for using the app, and we're not relying on the on revenues, you know, just from people joining. So I, I think you know these are fads for sure, and you know a few months down the line, you see most of these projects kind of you know going down significantly, you know. 99% down in token value, company value, you know, user base, all of that. So, um, but it, it definitely hurts the ecosystem and, you know, the developers who are building because a lot of, a lot of users are losing faith in the projects. Mm -hmm. They're being, you know, they see someone on YouTube saying, oh, I, I went for half an hour run today. I made $120. <laughs> Some of them, you know, some of them will ask, well, how is that possible? Like, okay, maybe it happened for you and I, I believe you, but surely that can't be, you know, for everyone, like something's got to give, you know? So like, at some point, you know, some people are going to be disappointed. And the problem is that with some of these apps, you know, some users have invested $2,000 for a pair of virtual shoes, right? And like, just one pair. And if you wanted to earn rewards, you had to, you had to purchase a pair. So they invest $2,000 and then, you know, 
a month and a half later, they're making 20 cents for, you know, a two hour run. So it's, they're not getting the money back and it's, it's, it hurts the environment. It hurts, you know, other developers who are trying to, to build, you know, good projects and definitely hurts the community, you know, um, but everyone's free to build whatever they want. And as long as, yeah, there's a, there's people out there who are, you know, analyzing these projects and they're, they do say, oh, this is kind of, it looks like a Ponzi scheme, you know, let's analyze it, let's look at it. But there are a lot of others who have a financial benefit from promoting these apps and, you know, they'll keep promoting them. So, yeah. Do you feel like maybe um, mobile apps, especially like the move to earn, for example, are in a unique situation that maybe just desktop apps don't have that same kind of access or, or yeah. I, I, I see what I'm saying? Comes, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think there is a, obviously. Yeah. It's, you know, move to earn is definitely on, uh, mostly on mobile. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's only on mobile to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Makes sense. I, I think, I think it's, it's not just that. I think it's some play to earn games who, have collapsed, you know, like a house of cards, if you want to call it that. But uh, it's it's just, um, it doesn't matter if it's a mobile app or a web-based project. But with a mobile app, you have the attention of that user. You can send him a push notification and, you know, he'll pick up the phone and say, oh, if I if I go out for a run now, you know, I'll earn this much. Or if I go out, there, there's apps that do geo-mining. So you have to go to specific places and you earn some sort of coins if you do that and you know they have no real utility you just have to go to certain places and once you do that you i don't know you uh you pay something you pay a monthly subscription uh to have access to the app and sometimes you earn you know twenty dollars or five dollars a month but you pay you know fifty dollars a month or most of the users pay that and some actually make money from it but um it's a numbers game and i do think mobile apps are more um more uh, prevalent in in these sort of uh, projects because you have the attention, you know, you have the user, he has the smartphone always on him, you can send him a notification, you can get, get his attention a lot easier than, you know, on, on the desktop where you just send, you know, an email or maybe a browser notification. But yeah. so definitely, I think a lot of, Developers are focusing on mobile apps just because it's it's a lot easier to capture the attention of the user in the long term once he has your app installed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned also that you guys had a specialized company come in and really look at your um, economy. Is that yeah. the best way, only way that um, entrepreneurs and projects can avoid falling into this, or? What would you recommend? <laughs> I think if you're if you're trying to build a, uh, a an economy that's relying on you know users paying something for some services and then earning money, especially especially when it comes to the earning part, I think you you should definitely seek advice outside of your organization because no matter how many Excel sheets or you know other tools that you use to simulate. Uh, how your app economy is going to look like. Um, in our case, going to a specialized company was was the best thing, and they they did an audit. They you know they're advising us, they're monitoring how the rewards are being paid out, and if at some point the whole you know app economy 
can be in danger of collapsing, let's say. And you, you can see that, you know, three, six months in advance, you're paying out way too much, you know, compared to what you're making. You know, there's not enough revenue coming in and you're going to, at some point, you're going to go bankrupt. So for us, it was very important. I would suggest it to anyone because, you know, you're subjective, you're building your own product, you, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, no, this would work. You know, um, I think 50% of the users are going to, you know, pay for this premium feature. And then if you go to another company, you know, who actually specializes in this, they're, they're going to say, well, no, you know, it's actually less than 5% who actually pay for a premium feature in an app ever. So um, I, I think it's very, very good to get outside advice. And they're like an auditor. So, you know, they, they look at everything more objectively than you do. And I would definitely recommend it, especially if it's a, you know, X to earn model. So mm-hmm. if it's play, move, drive, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, if it's play, move, drive to earn model, then definitely get, you know, if the users are earning something by doing something in your app, you got to make sure your app is uh, sustainable in the long term, your app economy. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to give some advice to people building a project, starting a project, whatever it may be, um, that they're specifically wanting to disrupt that current modern industry, what advice would you give them? Uh, put together a team, get some get some people together and start. Just do it. Okay. Just do it. Kind of just do it. Yeah, because everyone's going to make mistakes. I mean, we, we make loads. Um, one of the biggest mistakes that we did was that we – constantly waited to launch something we and this always happens with us i think we're perfectionists we want to you know we're afraid of you know the shame that comes with an unfinished product and startups shouldn't be like that and especially you know crypto startups if you have something that you think is valuable build a, an mvp uh, you know a version of it just just show it to people and just just put it out there and if people like it, they'll start supporting it. You'll start attracting partners, and it's going to be a lot easier from then on to to move and improve on it. And you're never going to satisfy, you know, the users. From, I mean, we're we're seeing that right now. So you know, there's people who are not happy that you know X functionality is not available in there. And yeah, it's coming next week, but you know, they're they're impatient. So, um, but it's okay. It's very good feedback, and it's. it's very much okay to put something out there uh, that is not finished yet and just as long as you say it obviously um, so yeah I think the most important thing is just start research make sure it's something that you would like to work on for the next you know five years and don't just do it for the money because it might not come so yeah if, you, if you're just okay. doing it for the money well yeah I mean it's, yeah. it's usually true if, you, yeah. if you're just motivated by money you're not going to build something that's of real use to people. You're just going to try and charge them as much as possible. So it's yeah. uh, so, probably not going to work. Yeah. Build something you believe in. Just do it. Just start. Make constant improvements and uh, communicate with your audience. If I can sum it up. Is that right? That's very good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. So at this point, I'm going to start wrapping us up. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Can I can I say the name of the company that we work with for the or sure should I just say you know should I just talk about our project yeah you can plug this company as well okay. sure okay so like, I, 
Atlas Navi, it's a drive to earn AI navigation, makes use of your film camera to interpret the road ahead and reroute, reroute other drivers on faster and safer roads if something is detected from, from that camera. It's a new way to navigate. Um, and our whole app economy, the drive to earn model, uh, where we actually pay out rewards to drivers who provide as much data as possible. The whole app economy uh, was built by machinations.io, um, and they're really good at the whole app economy design and audits and all that. So uh, we're very thankful for that. Awesome. Yeah, and this is normally where I would ask who we should have on Expert Talks next. Maybe you want to plug someone from that team to have on? Uh, sure. Yeah, I I can introduce you to Mihai, who's the CEO of that company, and um, I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you about this, actually. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, then, thank you so much. Very interesting stuff here. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. If you like today's episode, please rate, follow, or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you really like our content, join our Discord community, where there's always good conversation, exciting news, and live AMAs. Thanks for listening.